top three episode these are our warm-up episodes where Brittany and I get to sort of talk off the cuff about things that we are excited about and um, we're not calling the warm-ups though remember we're not what we're not calling them the warm-ups these are like real episodes now no they're real episodes but we're not going to dismiss them but true you're right let's not call them warm-ups um but this is a moment for you guys to get to know us and our personality a bit and understand um, maybe some of the reasons behind our passion for true crime. So we uh, developed this little format, helps us move things along, and uh, really, like I said, talk um, freely and openly from you know our hearts and not as much uh, following any kind of note process or anything like that. So we are talking about our top three serial killer interview wish list. And um, I came up with this, Brittany, you know, because I really had a couple of, of serial killers that I wanted to talk about that I know we're going to get to eventually. But um, uh-huh. you know, to sort of uh, pepper in, you know, and I've learned a lot since we've been recording, um, you know, and discussing some of the serial killers and even the ones that we're recording today and, you know, probably in the future. Every time we do um, record an episode, I learn so much about those individuals. So it's kind of tough to do that this list so early on in our process because I feel like we've just like really scratched the surface of, um, you know, true crime and serial killers. But I will give it my best shot based on what I know now. Yeah, I agree. And it's, it's kind of funny you say so early on in our process. We're, this is episode, I think, 32 for us. We've been I'm surprised how many we've hammered out so far. I kind of can't believe that we've gotten this far already. I can't either. It's, I mean, we, I think the trick is we really enjoy it. You know, I mean, I, um, I know I look forward to this. I, it is work though. We both say oh, to each other. Oh, it's totally work. Yeah, we have a, yeah. we literally have a second job, right? And, um. Yeah, for sure. But, that doesn't pay us. Yeah. Well, it will eventually. Uh, I hope. We hope so. I hope. Um, you know, uh, that is our goal, by the way, you know, we would love to spend all of our time, um, recording episodes and, and sharing with people who have similar interests to us and just sort of creating a dialogue and about, you know, how and why true crimes happen. I think that's why people are really interested. And I think going through our list here, we'll talk a little bit about that because I, a lot of people assume that if you're into true crime, you may be weird or you may have dark interests blah 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 what I think is that people who are into true crime are mostly compelled by um, wanting to understand and seeking knowledge about how people act in certain ways that they themselves can't understand totally agree I think that's what we've talked about is the things that kind of drive us is it's it's really like the psychology behind it it's the wanting to get in depth and try to figure out what makes these people tick and drives them to do what they do. 
Yeah, definitely. And so that is really, you know, where we are with that's that was what would compel me about this this. So this list is essentially Brittany our top three serial killer interviews that we wish uh -huh. we could do, alive yep. or dead. But that conversation, you know, who if you could choose three, who would your conversation be? So I will start. And I will start with my number three, and I have no three A or three B. I'm going to go straight this time. Um, Good job. Yeah, I know. Why derail it this early on? Um, my number three <laughs> is Eileen Warnos. And um, okay. Eileen Warnos, as we know, was um, a very highly sensationalized um, female American serial killer and a prostitute. She murdered seven men in Florida between 89 and 90, and she shot them point blank. So um, she was a prostitute. She had some issues. Um, you guys will all remember Eileen Warnos from her portrayal or Charlize Theron's portrayal of her in Monster, which was a fantastic mm -hmm. movie. And, yeah, um, it was. You know, I had seen Eileen Warnos. This, of course, typical Florida. Uh, and I have to give say, one of the big reasons that Florida is a big transient state and has a lot of people coming and going is because it's really warm. I mean, you could sleep outside. You will not freeze to death. It will never happen. Um, you know, so that's a big compeller for, you know, people who are coming and going from Florida. There's the beach. Um, there's no state tax. You know, there's a lot of room there. Um, and it's not very expensive to live there nor to survive there. So she was a prostitute. She was traveling the, um, the highway circuit there. And going to truck stops and things like that and she um you know would essentially go uh, uh, as i don't know whatever you call it with one of her johns and i think this her her binge started when she was raped by someone and she turned mm -hmm. a gun on them and shot them so you know i find it interesting when you have people who are like um, vulnerable people uh she, because Theoretically, Eileen Warnos, like a lot of serial killers, were victims. She was a victim before she became a killer. And I kind of put her in a different category, too, because she didn't go search out people to kill. She essentially was a, a, in a, she was a victim at the beginning, and then the circumstances changed, and she felt the need right. to defend herself. Now, the later murders and the later killings that happened, that wasn't the case at all. Once she had started down yes. a path... You know, she uh, obviously had some triggers going on and things like that. She killed people who weren't weren't hurting her or she wasn't a victim. But somehow or another, um, you know, things sort of got out of control. I wanted I would just love to talk to her, um, you know, because she came from a very bad, you know, background and she had a lot of drug issues. And I, I just I would love to hear her take on this. I mean, and I know what her take would be, which is, you know, they did it to me, so I'm going to do it back or I'm going to do it first. Mm -hmm. But right. I, I just there's something about a female in that conversation that I would love to have. You know, where could things have changed? You know, a, a little more insight into her personality and her life and her feelings. She was I mean, don't get me wrong. She was a rough chick. Like when you saw her in court, she was aggressive and uh, i think she flicked people off you know like she i think she oh yeah the judge she was off. nasty <laughs> she was a not a good person but all that is a defense mechanism when you're trying to you know keep yourself from getting hurt and judged and i mean that and that there's no excuse because she's a woman because men do it too but it still is what it is which is a defense mechanism against trying to uh -huh. take responsibility or to feel anything about your actions I thought she also not ter not in a stereotypical way. She did. I feel like she did have remorse, and that was why she acted like that. So um, that would be my number three. There you go. 
Okay. I I had a little bit of a challenge with this one. Obviously, not not due to a lack of topics, but narrowing down my topics. Um, and I am going to cheat this round and give you a 3B, but I'm not really going to go into detail. I'll just tell you why I had this person on my list, but ultimately didn't make the cut. Uh, and that's Ted Bundy. And the reason why I had Ted Bundy uh, is because there was, there's, you know, something about him, his charm, that women just fell head over heels with him. And he was such a terrible person. He was awful. There were, you know, there's this movie on Netflix called uh, Extremely Wicked, Shockingly Evil and Vile, which is essentially a line that a judge used to describe him while he was on trial. And there was that side of him. And then there was the polar opposite. So I would have enjoyed just having a conversation with him just to try and see those two sides. And like we were just talking about, what made him tick and flip that switch? But that's as far as I'm going to go into my 3B with Ted Bundy. Uh, how I did narrow it down to my final three were really just based on uh, geography and hometown allegiances. Not allegiances, that's not the right word. But I guess what, you know, is relative to where I'm from. So my number three is John Dillinger from Chicago. And uh, John Dillinger was a gangster in the uh, the late 20s, early 1930s Chicago. He was uh, very prolific. He was a mo- foremost a, a, a bank robber. Um, he robbed 24 banks and four police stations. Uh, among other things, racketeering, he was involved in um, alcohol trade during Prohibition. Uh, he was charged with, uh, I think, only one murder, though I'm sure he was probably involved with a lot more than that, in East Chicago, Indiana. And ultimately, he was gunned down uh, by police despite wearing a bulletproof vest because he knew he was a target uh, in 1934. He was only 31 years old, so uh, he was a young guy and extremely prolific. But I've talked about before, my favorite my favorite period in Hollywood is the golden age in Hollywood, like the 30s through the 50s. Uh, I mentioned uh, in one of our previous top three episodes that I found Al Capone incredibly intriguing. And I thought about putting him on this list also, but because I already talked about him, I decided to go with John Dillinger. And they were kind of around in the same time. Uh, John Dillinger was also the subject of one of the FBI's first investigations. Uh, J. Edgar Hoover, who, of course, was the first uh, director of the FBI, was heavily involved in John Dillinger. And I feel like taking the depression portion of the late 20s and 1930s aside, there's a there's a certain glamorization about that time period in American history. You, of course, picture the roaring 1920s, which is crazy to think is 100 years ago now, uh, and, and things economically were better than ever. It was coming out of World War One. A lot of things that we consider regular, everyday uh, practices were coming into their own. Uh, then of course you had prohibition and also like we've talked about before, I feel like 
gangsters and the mob and mafia were also glamorized. So I think it'd be really interesting to talk to someone who was kind of at the forefront of that at its peak uh, when things were probably not as good or as glamorous as we like to retroactively think about them and, and just see what it was really all about uh you know he was being a mobster his official gang was called the dillinger gang or or also known as the terror gang and i have a uh i don't have a connection to john dillinger per se but there was the um the johnny depp movie called public enemy i think it was called public enemy Mm -hmm. public enemy public enemies uh in uh 2008 maybe it came out and um, I actually did extras casting for that movie. So I uh, have that very, very loose connection because that movie was shot in Chicago to do its best to recreate the scenes of what life actually would have been like during the time of John Dillinger. And and so was Don, John, sorry, bleh, uh, was John Dillinger a serial killer? He uh, was mostly guilty of... Uh, bank robbery oh but he he killed at least one person probably killed more than that but he was um, actually considered like a kind of like a robin hood where he was a he was looked at by the the poor and underprivileged as like a man of the people and would give back to the communities by robbing the rich and robbing the banks and um and actually playing tricks on uh, and robbing police stations and just doing needling and getting under the skin of police officers to try and, and the you know common criminals and the underprivileged looked at him as kind of like a hero. Hmm. Inter- interesting. So did he actually give back to anybody or? Uh, you know, I think he gave, he gave back, not in the charitable sense per se, but like, I think he gave back in, you know, he um, he was kind of a man of the people and helped provide for them and was tried to come across as like a regular everyday commoner, even though he was this rich gangster type, hmm. if that kind of makes any sense at all. Hmm. Interesting. All right. Well, there you go. So that is my number three. Sonia, your number two. My number two is one of our favorite, uh, favorite, I use that term loosely, um, our favorite subject matters, especially because, of course, all roads lead back to Mindhunter and uh, yep. Cameron Britton, which we will hashtag in this uh, episode. Um, sure will. But I am fascinated with Ed Kemper for a couple of reasons. Um, you know, as you guys know, Ed Kemper was a, a, an American serial killer. And uh, Wikipedia considers him a necrophile, which I suppose technically he is. Um, He murdered 10 people, including his paternal grandparents and his mother. And he murdered his grandparents when he was, what, 15, Brittany? So he was young. Um, He was also incredibly intelligent. He uh, was an assistant in prison when he went into um, a lot of the psychological doctors and experiments um, that they would sort of sort of practice on some of the convicts to get an understanding of, um, you know, criminality and their, their impulses and, and why he also in prison recorded, I think 10,000 hours of audiobooks. Um, so if it's you listen to some old audiobooks, you probably have listened to Ed Kemper read them to you, which I think is very fascinating. Um, you know, there, for me, 
when I talk about serial killers, with the exception of Eileen Warnos, that's a different reason to want to talk to her. Um, I'm not going to discover anything new. She's not going to be sort of this, you know, sort of bulk of information for me. I just want to understand her feelings. But for Ed Kemper and also my number one, these are people who are highly intelligent. And they had, at the very least, a very good understanding when before they, you know, sort of fulfilled their serial killer needs and afterwards as well so and they could talk about it in a very um, eloquent way which I find really interesting because you've got people who are very intelligent who almost have this superiority complex yet they are themselves the serial killers so if Ed Kemper was still alive I would have a lot of questions for him and as we've talked about before, my big question is, you know, if he later could be so charming, you know, and communicate so mm -hmm. well, I didn't, I never understood his inability to communicate with women, which may have sort of solved some of these issues early on. His, yeah. Clearly his issues were with women and um, yes, sort of the way he felt about himself and the way he thought others felt about him with women. It was a, it was a sad situation, but you know, he was a, a very large guy who was very intelligent and he definitely um, was prolific and, um, you know, exhaustive, you know, as well. I mean, the necrophilia part of it is really I would love to ask what what were you thinking and why were you thinking that that, you know, was it simply physical or was there something else to it? Surely there was. And if what if so, what exactly was it? I am. Um, I'm just really curious. So that is my number two, Ed Kemper. I am. For a brief moment, I had Kemper on my list also, but I knew he would be on your list, so I deferred to you because, uh, as all roads lead back to Mindhunter, I started watching Mindhunter before you did, but I wasn't super into it until you told me that I had to really pay attention to Cameron Britton's take on Ed Kemper, and so I went back to it and fell head over heels in love with that take on it i'm not gonna say ed kemper because that would just be terrible but since you're the one that really got me into that i knew who's gonna be on your list and i'm so glad i wasn't disappointed and i have a feeling i know who your number one probably is also oh i don't think you do really nope. okay well then maybe i'll be disappointed that i didn't pick who i thought your number would be yeah. but that's okay um okay so my number two uh also based on geography is jeffrey dahmer and uh, Jeffrey Dahmer ca carried out his crimes. He was, um, he, he's down in, um, if there were such a thing as a record book for this, you know, it's probably one of the worst serial killers of all time. He was uh, a cannibal. He uh, preyed on uh, young homosexual men. Uh, he violently, viciously murdered them, then preserved their parts, and then quite literally feasted on them. Uh, I remember as a as a kid growing up, um, I was I was very young at the height of his murder spree, I guess you can say. But I was at the time uh, when I say very young, I mean like three, four years old. I was very, very young. But I remember being afraid and being scared and hearing the stories on the news uh, as to how bad he was. And, and honestly, probably most of them came out after he was 
caught and convicted because, of course, while they were happening, they didn't know who it was. But I remember always growing up knowing who Jeffrey Dahmer was. Uh, and, of course, you know, since we're doing this, you can assume we listen to other true crime podcasts and documentaries. We listen to this stuff all the time. Very little ever gets to us. I was listening to, I'm pretty sure it was Generation Y about Jeffrey Dahmer. I had to turn it off because it was so disturbing. I have, I've never had to turn off a, an episode of a true crime podcast. Everything just kind of, like, I listen to it, I take it in. I couldn't, I couldn't tolerate this. It was so, so terrible. Some of the things described, and I actually, I don't want to go into it here because I'm sure we're probably going to talk about it some other time, but he was, uh, based on the things that I've read about other people and based on the things I've read about Jeffrey Dahmer, I think Jeffrey Dahmer took it to another level. And what makes him so intriguing to me is when you hear him speak and you look at his mannerisms, he doesn't come across as that type of guy. He doesn't come across as this extremely violent, vicious person. He's pretty soft-spoken. He's very mild-mannered. Uh, you know, he, he was diagnosed with uh, borderline personality disorder and schizotypal uh, personality disorder, disorder and a psychotic disorder. So he had a lot going on in his head that may have driven him or prevented him from acting humanely. Uh, he ultimately was... Uh, murdered in prison when he was only eight, uh, 34 years old in 1994. Uh, and his total murder count and dismemberment was of 17 men. And it took place between uh, the time of 1978 and 1991. But all of, the, all of the interviews and the footage I've seen of him just seem to completely contradict the stories and the crimes of this man. And there's no doubt that he's the one that did it, but because it's so close to home, uh, and he just seems atypical of what you would expect, but I think you see that with a lot of the, the subjects we discuss, I think he'd be a fascinating interview. Yeah, no, for sure. I I think it would be, for me, because I, I thought about putting Dahmer on my list, but I... um. I don't know how interesting the conversation would be about it. Uh, and that's very, he might not offer much and that's true. It wasn't, I don't know if it, it's just that, but also, you know, to your point, he's very soft spoken. I mean, I don't, I don't know what he'd add for me. Do you think that you're so repel, uh, repulsed by him because, because I, I mean, if you look at the scheme of things with, with all the different serial killers and what people have done, I would consider him, I mean, I think the cannibalism piece is the part that throws people over the edge because he, to me, didn't do anything worse than some of these other folks we're talking about. I mean, I'll, I'll, you know, the same, but I think the eating part was really the part that kind of pushed me over. Um, I'll be like the the thing that I recall that just repulsed me so much in listening to that Generation Y and, and reading more things about him is the way that he would like take out brains and make smoothies out of organs and just the total disregard uh and maybe it's more of the dismemberment that bothered me more than anything yeah, well, it was there's there's the murder and then there's 
the dismemberment and cannibalism. And I think it's more of those latter two that got to me more than anything. Yeah, I don't blame you. And um, I certainly would love to know why. I don't know if he ever told anyone, but... No, and to your point, like, you don't know how much you might get out of him. And I think that's partly why I'd be curious to interview him is because I would like to know, you're right, I probably wouldn't be able to get much out of him, but I'd like to have that it, that direct interaction to experience for myself. Yep. And I want to sort of reframe this for everybody who's listening and for you and I as well. I when I When I suggested this, I didn't suggest it in a way that you and I would be if it could happen, we're going to sit down with a serial killer and interrogate them. That's not what no. I meant. I want to have a That's serious not how I thought it either. conversation, a private, intimate conversation that will go nowhere. Um, but you know, in an honest conversation, that's what that's what I. That's I, how I, I took it for sure. Yeah. yeah. Okay. I agree. Um, all righty. So my number one drum roll. I can't do a drum roll. Uh, is Richard. Kuklinski, the Iceman. Aha! Uh-huh, I thought about putting him on there too. Yeah. And he was a murderer and a hitman. I yes. don't know if he necessarily falls into the serial killer category, but um, I mean, sh- maybe. Who knows? I just find him so fascinating. Um, he was sentenced to life in prison. Um, he was convicted of killing two members of a gang, and he killed. Many, 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 many other people. Um, he was a mob um, assassin, essentially. And he was incredibly good at his job. He had a family. He had children. He would perform his duties during the day, or sometimes at night, I suppose. And then he would go home to his family. And he would, uh, it, it was, he, he himself is able to, again, you know, very intelligent man, very charismatic, um, freakishly you know, I don't know. I found him to be almost attractive sometimes. I um I watched the I think it was an HBO series where they cut together some of his interviews because there are hundreds of mm-hmm. hours of interviews with him. And yes. um really impactful, really interesting, really honest, um very again, very charismatic. I got sucked in sometimes and I felt like I could this was a person that I would may actually be friends with. And um, if I didn't know, you know, the other pieces, and even if I did know, I could see how people would still be drawn to him. Um, He was a big guy as well, you know, right up my alley when it comes to my type, but, and I'm not saying I was attracted to him, but I could see how people could be, could be attracted to him. And I could see how people um, could get sucked into talking to him and his understanding of the world and life and maybe be compelled compelled to you know work with him or act in those same ways he um he man he can really talk and he talks with this really interesting like he's got his pauses in the right spots and he moves conversations in ways that I've really never seen anybody before. It it was really fascinating. Um, so he, um, he, 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 I guess he was given the nickname, the Iceman because, um, I guess at some point he had froze the frozen, the victims and which is fairly common with the mob. It's also a good way to throw off the forensic um, teams because it's hard to establish a a time or date of death when you have a body that's been frozen for X amount of time. So um, really fascinating. 
the uh, among his associates, it says he was known as the devil himself. Yeah, I believe that. Yeah. It, and I think you can see that when you're watching, I think it's called the Iceman Tapes or something, the, the series you're talking about on HBO. Yep. Uh, I... Um, I thought about including him. The reason I didn't is actually because of that HBO series. He seems so cold and calculated uh, and manipulative that I don't know that there'd be anything more to come out that he hasn't already talked about because he's so free and open in talking about it. Yeah, no, I'm with you. Well, and again, there was a hundred. There, I think there were a hundred hours. I got, I bought a separate, Probably. separate DVD that was the, um, you know, all of the the outtakes. Or, wow. Um, you know, I just, I, it's, it's really perplexing. The way he talked about his family and how he knew that at any point, at any time, if needed, he would have to go home and murder his family, and he was okay with that. Yep, totally cool. Yeah. All right. So, who's your number one? All right. So before I get to my number one, I have to say I thought you were going to pick Charles Manson as your number one. Ah, uh, yeah. I didn't. I don't. I don't want to talk to crazy people. I get nothing from that. I got. I got that already in my life. Because, yeah. And I. I had. I thought about him for a half a second too. But I actually. I think I agree with you. Like I think he's. You know, he's so crazy and manipulative that you're not going to get anything genuine out of him anyway. I don't even know if he knows what genuine is. I mean, he's dead now. But that's very possible. But I. Yeah. He. It's like talking to a person who who's insane. You know, I mean, you're gonna your yeah, expectations sure. better be pretty low, and you're not going to get anything rational. Yes. Uh, okay, so my number one is Ed Gein, and mm, uh, he was he was on my list for a minute. Yeah, I bet he was. Uh, to me, I feel I, I have an extremely loose, very loose connection to him. Um, but <laughs> he's he, to me, he's kind of an enigma. And the reason I would like to talk to him is because in such a weird way, he has inspired so much. I think he's inspired future criminals. He inspired so many pop culture references. Norman Bates, Leatherface, uh, Hannibal Lecter. What was it about this guy? He was he was a grave robber. He was a cannibal. He, uh, of course, he, w he was a murderer. He had issues with his mother. He wore... He made outfits out of his female victim's skin. It, it, it's he was so disturbing, so on another level that I feel like there's there's a lot out there about him, but because it happened so long ago, there's still a lot that's unknown and just speculation that I think it would be it would be so interesting to hear directly from the man himself. Because I imagine him as a tortured, mentally uh, disabled, not cognitively, psychologically disabled, even maybe quiet, mild-mannered type person who had so many issues he didn't know how to deal with him. With them. I mean, he's just a... He's a fascinating character that I think would make for a tremendous interview and he might be all over the place. It might be a terrible interview because he might have so much going on with him. And he'd be curious to know that in today's day and age, what sort of 
psychological or psychiatric diagnoses he might actually have that may not have been diagnosed at the time. Though whatever it was that he had at the time, he still found himself in a psychiatric hospital for the remainder of his life after he was arrested. So I just, there's a lot unknown and uh, he inspired, such a weird way to say that I, I know, so much that I think there's got to be a lot there that hasn't been uncovered that could make for fascinating stories and a, just a great conversation. Uh, have, did you read the book that um, I think it was called Gein? Did you read that book? No. No. It's really insightful. I would um I would highly suggest that book. It was um it, it answered a lot of your questions. But I and I kind of want to call out one thing. He inspired a lot of lore and a lot of fiction. I don't know uh-huh. how much um reality he actually he inspired. He was known as the butcher of Plainfield or the Plainfield Ghoul. Um Yes. Yeah, he uh, I, he was five seven, <laughs> little guy. Um, yeah, not a big guy. Yeah, and he was really mild mannered. And there's a lot I would like. I said I would suggest and you guys read that book. It's um it's really interesting and it it sort of talks a bit about um all of those nuances. Um, the book that I read, it's not the deviant one. I'll find it and tell you guys. And, and to your point about uh he inspired fiction that's part of the conversation i would love to have is how much is truly who the man was versus how much is in a weird way has been romanticized and fictionalized over the decades yeah no for sure so the book i'm talking about is called edward gein and it is by judge robert h golmer and um i think it was it's not as sensationalized as the others there are definitely a lot of questions. I don't know if Ed can answer them for you or not. You right, know, I agree. Kind of a, I'm not sure he could. No, he was kind of a... Um, I felt like he was almost slow. He did some terrible... Th- to me, he's like right up there because he did some terrible things yes. to those bodies. Um, he did, I, mean, I agree. I There are pictures in this book that I, I, I can't even describe. I have never seen anything like that, nor do I really ever want to again. No, I agree. Um, so I would, uh, sorry, I don't mean to suggest taking a look, but take a look, you know, if you want to know <laughs> what I'm talking about. That was a good one, Brittany. I'm glad that's your number one. Yeah, it's, uh, that he was kind of my, he was the first, I think, on my list when you came up with this topic. Do you, so it didn't, um, uh-huh. had you ever thought about him before in your life or, you know, because you have a loose tie? Have you had many conversations or were you always interested in him? No, not at all. I um I didn't even really know about him until I'll say relatively later in life growing up and I, I relatively probably like teen years because kind of getting back to my number 2 Jeffrey Dahmer the conversation was always about Jeffrey Dahmer in the area and he was the one that everyone kind of pointed to as being the worst of the worst all like as far as in the you know the milwaukee area wisconsin area and then i started to hear about ed gein and i didn't even know who the guy was until i don't even remember how it came up but uh then he started to fascinate me much more than Dahmer even did yeah well god i you know i was looking today on the list of serial killers there's just a list on wikipedia 
Um, and I was looking through the list to sort of feel, to look and see if I had missed anyone. And there were people who weren't on the list that I was surprised. And there were people who were on the list okay. that I was like, huh, I don't even know if that's really what, you know, but yeah, what I will say, there were a lot of people. So, you know, yeah, I, uh, oh, yeah, th- this we'll, we will probably do this again once we get through, you know, more episodes and, and more individuals. And um, maybe we'll have changed our minds so we can revisit this for sure. All righty, uh, Scarlettos, thanks for listening. We'd love to hear who is on your list. And even if you have some intriguing information about the subjects that we discussed that are on our lists. Absolutely. So hit us up on social media. Uh, always love hearing from you. Thanks, Scarlettos. Thanks for listening. And uh, keep killing it, as Brittany says. <laughs> All right. Later, Scarlettos. Hey y'all, I'm Brandon Hall. I'm one of the hosts of Music City 911, a podcast about the good, the bad, and the dark side of 911 dispatching. Me and my co-hosts are 911 dispatchers with over 60 years of experience. Join us as we play 911 calls and discuss them. Oh, did I mention that we get dark? 911, what's your emergency? I just shot everybody right now. You just shot everybody? And how many people did you shoot? Uh, three. Four, five, 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 You can find us on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram at Music City 911, and we're downloadable on every podcast platform.